Most of us will never know the horror of violent crime. But for an unfortunate few, it is very much a reality. And its effects can ripple for generations, leaving families devastated and struggling with unanswered questions. But the truth can sometimes still be heard in the most unlikely of places, the victim themselves. My mission is to make that voice heard. My name is Sherry Hawk. I'm a retired police officer and a psychic medium, and these are my stories. In the late 1990s, a young woman went missing. After an investigation tainted by corruption and obstruction by the local police department, there were several arrests and convictions. But the victim's body was never found. Four years later, when the convicted appealed, the case was reopened. I was watching the local news when the reporter started talking about this case, I was immediately drawn in. An overwhelming, spirit-driven burst of energy that was chaotic went through my whole body. There were so many images of objects and places and people, and then this tremendous amount of emotion and sadness and fear all combined in one, just rushing at me. This was not the usual request for Sherry's help. It was not a phone call from the victim's family or an official outreach from the police. Sherry's spirit guides were directing her to begin her own psychic investigation. And this one began in 1998 in a rural Midwestern town, a place where everyone knows each other and each other's personal business. A young woman, we'll call Jane Doe, was enjoying a night out with her girlfriends. Her fun was disrupted when an angry boyfriend, we'll call him John Smith, arrived and insisted that Jane leave with him. Despite his angry demands, Jane refused, and eventually, John Smith stormed out. Jane's girlfriends dropped her off safely at home later that night. The next day, Jane Doe did not show up at her work. She was nowhere to be found despite intensive searching. Her mother filed a missing person report with the local police. As a veteran police officer and investigator, I was well versed in how to conduct an investigation. But this case had so many different elements and pieces to try and put together. So I began a search through the internet and government records to find out as much information as I could. I found a series of red flags with the original trial. Witness testimony that should have been heard during the trial had been dismissed, while others who did testify would later be charged with perjury. The local police had tipped off suspects along with mishandling and tampering with evidence. With a full understanding of the previous investigation and trial, it was time for Sherry to start investigating her way. I began with a deep prayerful meditation with my spirit guides and then began a series of Q&As with them. These psychic channeling sessions were conducted just as if I was doing an investigation at a crime scene, 
but with the added benefit of having the witnesses testifying being my spirit guides. Through this unique blended method, Sherry was able to start putting together the puzzle pieces of this complex and heartbreaking violent crime. The first question I asked was obvious. Was the victim missing or was she dead? I quickly learned that my typical Q&As would become more of a yes, but, or no, and series of answers. The visuals that I was receiving were layered and challenging to sort in place. And then when I asked if she was killed by a stranger, I was hit with a whole nother barrage of images. No, she was not killed by a stranger. She was killed by her boyfriend during an argument that became heated and escalated. She tried to fight him off, but he struck her several times. I saw and felt a sudden head trauma and possibly a broken neck as her head fell back and hit a metal object. There was no emergency call, no attempt for CPR. John and Jane were alone when she died. And just like that, Sherry had done what local police had failed to do for so long. She had an answer. But she also still had questions. My spirit guides further provided that John Smith's family helped him cover up the crime, specifically John's half-brother who helped bury her in a shallow grave, and then his stepfather, who knew what happened and helped to conceal the details of the crime, as well as her body. Spirit showed me a vision of a small light-colored vehicle that looked like a Volkswagen Beetle. And then I saw a symbol of a round circle with, it looked like a V and a W inside of it overlapping each other. Then Spirit told me that the Volkswagen hiding her grave was right where the canines were searching, but they never went underneath the car. I kept pressing spirit, trying to find the exact location of this shallow grave. And then I received an image of a lot with a whole bunch of cars on it that appeared to be abandoned like a junkyard. Was Jane's body hidden in a car junkyard? Who owned this yard? Why did the police canine not find her scent in the search of the area? Sherry pushed forward with the help of her guides. Over a number of days, I kept receiving all these unsolicited images and elements, like pieces of a puzzle. So what I was finally able to put together was Jane Doe's body was buried in one of the Smith family-owned junkyards. According to public records, the family, in fact, owned multiple properties in different counties. To prevent finding the grave, Equipment was used to push two cars on top of her shallow grave, one silverish, one tannish, and they sat side by side. Had the police not been instructed to stop the search, I believe they would have found her body. This is the first time I'd worked a case psychically rather than on scene as a police officer. So I contacted my friend who's a gifted psychic and my mentor. Tina Michelle and asked her for help. Tina said that she already knew that Jane's mother had hired a psychic to help find her daughter. This psychic told her that Jane's body would be found in a pond. The pond was then drained, but nothing was ever found. I started out by telling Tina what I had psychically received. And then we began to channel together and seeing the images of a metal pole barn type structure we saw white powder being put on her body. 
we agreed that her body was never hidden in the pond and that the boyfriend definitely did kill her and the family was involved. And then there was some kind of huge chow-like lioness thing. Sherry continued the investigation, specifically searching for any information on pets that belonged to the suspects. She found an article that stated John Smith's stepfather had owned a pet lion. Sherry's mentor encouraged her to contact a local TV investigative reporter whom she had worked with before. The reporter was already familiar with the case, and so he agreed to help. Because the previous investigation was wrought with corruption, it was important to collaborate with this reporter because he already had trusted contacts working this case. This case was up for appeal. Time was of the essence. We needed to get the information and new details into the safe hands of the prosecution. While the case puzzle was coming together, solving it was going to require finding the remaining missing pieces outside of the box. It was now time for me to psychically connect with Jane. The absolute truth is known only by the victim and their killer. So it was important for Jane Doe to have her voice heard. The honest, pure, and straightforward truth. I began with the obvious question. Did John Smith kill you? And she began to tell me her story. Yes, we were arguing. He became violent, raging, hitting me, my head. I fell. Then Jane said something that stunned me. John did not deliberately murder me. And he did feel remorse when he killed me. I was killed in a junkyard. My body was hidden in a shallow grave under a car until it was removed by John and his half-brother. John used his stepfather's chainsaw to cut up my body, then later put the chainsaw in a pond on the property. John's half-brother then helped him move my body parts in his pickup. They stopped at the home of friends of John Smith, whom I also knew. These friends were asked to assist in the disposal of my body. My remains were then transported to another county and then fed to a pet lion over a three-day period. Parts, including my skull, some pieces of bones and teeth, were scattered and hidden in the ground on various Smith family property in different counties. Jane Doe also told Sherry to give her information to the investigative TV reporter and the sheriff's detective he was communicating with. She asked Sherry not to make contact with her mom yet. A private meeting was arranged with Sherry, the TV reporter, the detective, and the county prosecutor handling Jane's case. Well, the meeting started with the detective saying, I don't believe in any of this psychic stuff, but if it helps us find Jane Doe's remains, I'm willing to listen, which is uh, as good a start as I could have hoped for. The men had me explain how I was able to psychically receive information since I was a child. When she finished explaining, the detective wanted to know what Sherry's agenda was. If she wasn't hired by Jane's mother, nor had met her, and didn't know Jane, then why was she involved in the case at all? Because Jane asked me to help and to contact you. 
I responded. Then the detective started picking apart all the information about Jane Doe's remains and the lion, further dismissing him as small town rumors because everybody knew that the family used a chainsaw to cut up deer to feed their pet lion. I was not aware of the town rumors, I told him. I did not know about the lion or that they cut up deer and fed it to him. I told the detective, don't dismiss it just because everybody thinks it, they're right. Sherry then felt a familiar surge of Jane Doe's energy and she began sounding out a name of someone she insisted was connected to her disposal. I told the detective what Jane was saying and asked him, whose name is that? He said, that's the name of a couple who's friends with John Smith. Jane was providing Sherry with more information, the name of a road and multiple visuals of a metal pole barn and a specific area outside the barn associated with her disposal. She reiterated that the chainsaw used to cut up her body was placed in a pond not her remains. The reporter asked about her missing car. Jane told them that the front seats of her car were hidden on a Smith family property. Then the county prosecutor wanted to test Sherry. He asked her if John Smith had taken any of Jane Doe's personal belongings from her car. He did take some of her things. Jane showed me a pile of pictures and then a Nikon camera. And when I described this to the prosecutor, he told me they'd not been able to find her camera and that she had taken quite a bit of photos right before her disappearance. Then he wanted to know where the personal belongings were. And Jane told me that John gave her camera to his mom. Then she showed me an image of a watch, necklace, and earrings and said that John gave them to his stepfather, who then gave them to some chick, Jane said. The detective rattled off a list of names. Jane signaled on a specific woman's name. The detective affirmed that she was the stepfather's girlfriend. I insisted that if they didn't want to believe anything else, just believe that every time I asked Jane about the whereabouts of her remains, she said she was buried in a junkyard belonging to the Smith family. Her skull, some teeth, and bone fragments were scattered in the earth with a Volkswagen put on it. And this was in a junkyard owned by John's stepfather. The men asked about names and properties in relation to the distribution of her remains. Some were verified and others were dismissed by Jane. She continued to insist by way of visual imagery, there was another junkyard that was being overlooked, one with many cars. Suddenly, the county prosecutor remembered another small junk-like property north of town. Jane sent a jolt of energy through me like, duh, finally confirming the location of her body. I asked him if the property had multiple cars on it. It did. I asked him had it been searched. It had not been. Our meeting ended with them promising to search that property. The meeting took place five years after the start of Jane Doe's missing person case. Just as evidence was hidden and moved after the murder, it was also very likely her remains were removed and concealed again, like a grisly nutshell game. After the meeting with the authorities, Sherry was guided to drive by the multiple properties involved in the case, looking for any missing pieces of the puzzle. 
While there, she connected with Jane. I will never forget the overwhelming feeling of fear and sadness that saturated my whole being when she started talking about her death. I asked her, is this where you were killed? Yes, I was cut up, put in black garbage bags, and taken to a property in another county in a pickup truck belonging to John Smith's half-brother. The VW has since been removed, but a two-by-two two piece of my skull remains in the ground. Some souls don't automatically go to their heaven realm when their soul sheds its physical body. Either by choice or circumstance, their soul can become earthbound and linger here in our dimensional plane. Sometimes a tragedy, usually a sudden or violent end, tethers them to a loved one who cannot let them go. Or the soul remains until the truth is found and known. And in Jane's case, it's both. Jane provided her testimony to the authorities through Sherry's mediumship. It was an aspect of the peaceful release she was seeking. The remaining release would be found in the love and strength of her family. She dictated three loving letters through mediumship to her mom, her dad, and her sister. 20 years after her murder, I felt the change in Jane's energy from the tremendous sadness outside the junkyard to the lightness and grace of her profound ascension. Her compassionate words can now reach viewers. With sharing just a small piece of her compassionate and loving letter to her family, she brings hope and comfort to those left behind when loved ones cross. In the letter to her mother, Sherry was asked to draw the picture of a pink bleeding heart flower. It represented the grief and remembrance of a loved one and the compassionate connection between life and death. I am sorry for the loss you feel. In all the days of crying, the bleeding hearts are from me to you. Tell me it's okay to go and that you will be all right. What's left of me on the ground does not matter now. Please let me go. I long to be at peace. You will not lose me in your heart, but set me free. Your love is strong enough. I will return to watch over you. The original trial's outcome convicted John Smith of murder. Because the circumstantial evidence was so strong, despite the absence of a body, loss of and sometimes tainted evidence, he received a life sentence without the possibility of parole for kidnapping and aggravated murder. His half-brother was convicted of obstruction of justice and tampering with evidence and was given an eight-year prison sentence. John's stepfather was found not guilty on obstructing justice and tampering with evidence. The town police chief was charged with obstructing justice and dereliction of duty for warning the suspects every time police were coming to search their properties, specifically of the junkyard search. He pled no contest to two lesser charges of dereliction of duty to avoid a trial. The chief was fired paid a fine of $750 and had one year of unsupervised probation. The appeals process upheld all of the previous convictions. 
A wrongful death suit was filed in the U.S. District Court by Jane Doe's family against the town. It was their hope that a settlement deal would reveal the location of Jane Doe's remains. John Smith refused to cooperate. The town had to pay Jane's family $2 million in the settlement. A memorial to honor Jane Doe and domestic violence victims was created. Jane's mom became a vital member of a domestic violence task force. The domestic violence task force established new rules and protocols for how police respond on domestic violence runs. These new protocols became the standard for training across the state. Jane Doe's remains have never been found. On July 13th, 2021, I connected with Jane to channel her message for those who have shared the pain and harm that she endured. Her truth remains in the following words. Allow me to join your mind and energy as we make a record of the details I want known. This story is the confirmation of the abuse and control by John Smith. My mom and friends told me many times to get away from him, but I kept trying to win the battle of love versus violence. Clearly, I was overwhelmed with the dangerous cycle that could not be broken. When I finally made up my mind to get away from him, I got sucked back into his power play one last time. What people need to be reminded of is if you're feeling threatened by your partner or spouse, you are already in danger. You cannot fix them or resolve their anger. I tried many times to appease my boyfriend. I could calm him down, but then at some future instance, he would just go from zero to 60, like a race car, but out of control. Listen to the voice within you when you are threatened. They are telling you ahead of time what they're willing to do to you. When they are physically violent with you, they are proving to you that your life is undeniably in danger. 